There are some really nice little invite cards that you can use to invite uh, friends, family to next, next weekend's uh, Easter services. We do have Good Friday services at 9.30 and 11, and Easter on Saturday at 6 o'clock, and then regular service times on Sunday, 8.30, 10, and 11.30. You can pick up these cards at the info desk or at the resource center. Um, we're also in a study series called Amplify. We want to turn up the volume on the gospel. So we ran out of uh, copies of this little booklet last weekend, but we've printed some more. And uh, I really would encourage you to pick up a copy. It's a great way to study the Bible on your own, just accompany the sermons. You can write notes in this book, uh, color the pictures, and you can also study it in a group. If you're not a part of a small group, I encourage you to walk together with some other followers of Jesus. We're in Luke chapter 19 this morning, Luke chapter 19, verses 28 to 44. The title of the message is The Song of the Walking King. What kind of song should we sing when we have reason to praise God and also sometimes a reason to cry? Sometimes we look at the world around us. We live in a beautiful place and we just thank God for the beauty of creation. And as we do that, we remember that relationships are a bit broken. Or sometimes we're just so grateful to be Canadian, to be in this country. But at the same time, we remember that there is spiritual blindness around us, sometimes in our own hearts. So what kind of gospel song should we sing when the world is not quite the way it should be? Last weekend, I was really tired after our weekend services, so I went home and sat on the couch, turned on the TV, and I watched the Junwa Awards. I haven't watched them for a long time. And if you watched those awards, then you probably would have celebrated some things that I saw. Um, just creativity. Unbelievable talent, giftedness. People from many different ethnic, cultural backgrounds, and so reflecting the diversity of Canada. At the same time, the, the award ceremonies, uh, it, it was opened with shamanic drumming and so calling up the spirits. And it's not neutral space. If you listen to the lyrics, then you would have heard references to other spirits. And some people, just by the clothing that they were wearing, what was written on the clothing, they were talking about other spirits. No mention of Jesus. And tolerance was expressed openly for every lifestyle imaginable to the human mind. And we live in a, in a Canada that thinks that it has arrived that we have now understood the things that make for peace. And so if you are a follower of Jesus and you watch a ceremony like that, or if you just observe daily life, what kind of gospel song should you sing? When there's reason for praise, for celebration, and also reason for lament. Well, that's our Canadian context. I want to set the context for the passage we're going to read today. As I said, we're in Luke chapter 19. If you're reading through Luke and you're in chapter 18, then in verse 31, Jesus, he sets his face toward Jerusalem. He's very intent on going toward Jerusalem, the center of religious and cultural life in, for the Jews. 
the center of all messianic expectations. He's going to that Jerusalem, and Jesus says to his disciples, I will go into Jerusalem, and I will be mistreated. I will die, but I will rise again. And the disciples, they have heard that multiple times, but they just don't understand. Jesus, he is approaching Jericho. This is chapter 18, verse 35. He's approaching Jericho, and uh, there's a blind man on the side of the road. Mark identifies him as Bartimaeus. Bartimaeus, he cries out, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. And the crowd tries to quiet him, but he insists, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. And Jesus stops and looks at Bartimaeus and says, what would you have me do for you? And Bartimaeus says, I just want to see. And Jesus has mercy on him and heals him. Remember that story. Jesus enters Jericho. He's passing through Jericho and he finds a man in a sycamore tree. Where else would he find Zacchaeus? He finds Zacchaeus in a sycamore tree and tells Zacchaeus that he wants to go to his home. And the crowd doesn't get why Jesus would go to the home of a sinner, so they they grumble. They don't understand his mission, but salvation comes to the home of Zacchaeus. And Jesus leaves Jericho. Jericho sits at about 850 feet below sea level. And Jesus will now ascend a winding, dusty road all the way to Jerusalem. Jerusalem sits at about 2,400 and I think 28 feet. And so it's a climb, a 20-kilometer climb of more than 3,000 feet to Jerusalem. This is the road that Jesus is on. It's called the Ascent of Blood. In Luke chapter 19, verse 11, as he nears Jerusalem, Luke writes that the crowds following him expect the kingdom of God to appear immediately. They believe that the time is now. And Jesus tells the parable of the ten minas or the ten talents. And he talks about a kingdom and there's a king. And there are people in the kingdom, citizens of the kingdom, that do not want this king to reign. And so he goes away. He will return. And I'm sure that the disciples, as they heard Jesus tell that parable, they didn't understand what he was talking about. So Jesus is nearing Jerusalem. And in the context, people are divided. People are responding to him in very different ways. There are people that praise. There are people that follow, that sing. Maybe they don't understand, but they are following. And then there are people that despise him, that hate him, that want to remove him from the scene. So there's this tension in the air. As we go to chapter 19, verse 28... Jesus is approaching Bethphage and Bethany, two small villages about three kilometers east of Jerusalem on the eastern slopes of Mount Olivet. Let's read verse 28. And when he had said these things, he went on ahead going up to Jerusalem. When he drew near to Bethphage and Bethany at the mount that is called Olivet, he sent two of the disciples saying, go into the village in front of you where on entering you will find a colt tied on which no one has ever yet sat. Untie it and bring it here. If anyone asks you why you're untying it, you shall say this, the Lord has need of it. So those who were sent 
went away and found it just as he had told them. And as they were untying the colt, its owner said to them, why are you untying the colt? And they said, the Lord has need of it. And they brought it to Jesus and throwing their cloaks on the colt, they set Jesus on it. And as he rode along, they spread their cloaks on the road. As he was drawing near, already on the way down the Mount of Olives, the whole multitude of his disciples began to rejoice and praise God with a loud voice for all the mighty works that they had seen, saying, Blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. And some of the Pharisees in the crowd said to him, Teacher, rebuke your disciples. He answered, I tell you, if these were silent, the very stones would cry out. And when he drew near and saw the city, he wept over it, saying, Would that you, even you, had known on this day the things that make for peace, but now they are hidden from your eyes. For the days will come upon you when your enemies will set up a barricade around you and surround you and hem you in on every side and tear you down to the ground, you and your children within you. And they will not leave one stone upon another in you because you did not know the time of your visitation. So just reading that passage, there's praise, there's lament. What kind of gospel song? If you were inspired by the Spirit of God, what kind of gospel song would you write, compose in response? Jesus knows what's ahead of him. He's completely aware of the moment, where he's going, what is before him. He sends two disciples to an unspecified village, probably Bethphage. And there they will find a colt. Notice that Jesus has complete foreknowledge. He knows that the colt is there. He knows its location. He knows that it's tied up. He knows that it's never been ridden. He knows how to get it. An interesting note, during the time of Jesus, it wasn't unusual for people to keep a donkey for hire, to lend it out. And so there are many pilgrims coming to Jerusalem, the surrounding area, and there would be people looking for donkeys. It was the ancient version of evil car share. Just kidding. Where's the evil donkey? But it is true that donkeys were kept for hire. And so not unusual that the disciples should go into a village looking for a donkey. The disciples, they find the colt, just as Jesus has said, and while they're untying the colt, the owners of the colt, they ask, why are you untying it? And, and the word for owners in the original, it's lords. And so the lords of the colt ask the disciples, why are you untying it? And the response is, the Lord has need, it, need of it. The disciples respond exactly as the Lord has instructed them. Now, the interesting note here is that Jesus actually refers to himself as the Lord. He's assuming his identity. This is not just by chance that he will ride into Jerusalem on a colt. This is a very deliberate messianic act. He is communicating something to the crowd. He is communicating something to Jerusalem. He's not getting a donkey because he's tired. He's already walked a long way. The road from Mount Olives down to Jerusalem, it's downhill. So he's not getting in on donkey because he's tired. interesting. This isn't a moment when Jesus heals somebody and says, don't tell anyone. He actually identifies himself as the Lord. The Lord has need of it. What kind of gospel song should we sing in response to what Jesus does here? 
Well, I believe that we would need to sing, blessed is the sovereign king. Blessed is the sovereign king who is sovereign over all things. Remember last week when we studied uh, the institution of the Lord's Supper, when we talked about the Lord's Supper, remember that Jesus sent two disciples into Jerusalem to prepare the Passover and he foretold exactly what would happen. And so just as Jesus was sovereign as we contemplated the Passover, He's sovereign as he sends his disciples into a small village to get a donkey. And as we reflected on what Jesus had done around the Passover, we said, let's remember that Jesus is sovereign over our lives today as well. Jesus is sovereign over our personal lives, over our families, over our nation. Blessed is the sovereign king. And so as you walked with Jesus this week, did you experience Christ's sovereign hand on your life? And did you worship him? Did you see Jesus orchestrating the details of your life? Were you aware of his presence? The disciples, they, they set Jesus on the donkey. They, they laid their cloaks on the donkey and set Jesus on it. They're affirming Jesus as Messiah. Maybe they remember an old messianic prom, uh, prophecy from Jer- uh, Genesis chapter 49. Genesis 49, it talks about a ruler from G- Judah who riding on a donkey will command obedience of the nations. Maybe they remember, maybe they're not completely aware of what's going on, but they do set Jesus on the donkey and Jesus will now deliberately enter into Jerusalem, not on foot as most pilgrims will, he will enter on a donkey. It's a messianic act. Verse 36, as he rode along, they spread their cloaks on the road. And so the crowds around Jesus now, they're spreading their cloaks before Jesus as he passes on a donkey. Matthew says that the crowds, they cut branches, probably palm branches. And the palm branches, they are a symbol of Jewish nationalism. And so in the minds of the people that are following Jesus, this is a moment of victory. The Messiah will enter Jerusalem. When they put down the cloaks, that's an act of homage. They're saying, we submit to you, Jesus. They're laying out the red carpet for the one that they consider to be the Messiah. In the crowds, you find disciples from Galilee, people from Judea. The Gospel of John says that there are some from Bethany. Lazarus was raised from the dead in Bethany, and so the people, they join the crowd. You can sense the euphoria of the moment, the devotion, the fervor. Messianic expectations are through the roof. He's like Moses. He'll, he'll enter into Jerusalem and he will part the sea. He's like David, a conquering king. He will overthrow the Romans. This is the moment of our liberation as they crest Mount Olivet. Remember, Mount Olivet is higher than Jerusalem. And so Mount Olivet, it's At its highest point, it's about 2,710 feet. And so if Jerusalem is at 2,400 feet, as you crest Mount Olivet, you look down on Jerusalem, you have this spectacular view of Jerusalem and the Temple Mount. And so the people in the crowds, remember, it's Passover time. They're just a few days away from Passover. Passover, it celebrates the liberation of Israel from Egypt. And so in their minds, they're imagining that the day of liberation has come. It's a time to celebrate. It's a time for for euphoria. Jesus is present. He's the Messiah. And the multitudes, they begin to rejoice. They begin to praise God for what they have seen. And what have they seen? 
Well, if you read through the Gospel of Luke, there was a man in the region of the Gerizines, and he was demon-possessed, and no one wanted to go near him, and Jesus set him free, healed him. There was a woman with a disabling spirit, and Jesus set her free. There was a paralytic lowered through the roof, and he walked. There was a woman with a discharge of blood for 12 years, and she touched Jesus, and she was healed. There was a moment when the crowds were on the hillside in Galilee, and Jesus fed 5,000 in one moment. And then the disciples, they crossed the sea, and Jesus calmed the storm. There was a widow of Nain who, who had a son who died, and Jesus raised him from the dead. Lazarus died, and Jesus raised him from the dead. And so they're remembering all of the wonderful things that Jesus has done, all that God has done in and through Jesus, and they explode into praise. And what do they say? Blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. And doesn't that sound like the chorus of the angels in Luke chapter 2, verse 14? Glory to God in the highest. And on earth, peace among those with whom he is pleased. They're singing the gospel song. And so the expectations, the messianic expectations are high. In the gospel of Mark, Mark adds, Blessed is the coming of a kingdom of our father David. Hosanna in the highest. We just sang Hosanna. What does that mean? Hosanna, it means please save us. It's a prayer. Come save us. Hosanna, Jesus. Come save us, Jesus. They believe that the kingdom has come. When they say, blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord, they're reciting Psalm 118. During the time of the Israelite monarchy, when a king would return to Jerusalem after winning a victory, the king and his entourage would enter the city and they'd go to the temple and the priests would be waiting and they, the priests would bless the king. Blessed is the king who comes in the, the name of the Lord. And so what kind of reception will Jesus receive when he enters Jerusalem and gets to the temple? He's the true Messiah, the true king. Will the priests be waiting? Will the whole religious establishment be there waiting? And will they be singing, blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord? As Jesus descends Mount Olivet, he's staring at the temple mount and Riding on that donkey, he's declaring that he is the anointed one, that he is the long-awaited Messiah, that he is the king. He's of the lineage of David, but he's coming in lowliness and meekness. He's fulfilling Zechariah chapter 9, verse 9, which reads, Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout aloud, O daughter of Jerusalem. Behold, your king is coming to you. Righteous and having salvation is he, humble and mounted on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. Jesus is triumphant. He is victorious, but he comes humble, lowly, meek. He's not entering Jerusalem to mount an earthly throne. He's coming to fulfill his father's mission. And so he rides majestically right to the cross. What kind of gospel song should we sing? Well, blessed, blessed is the humble king. Blessed is the humble king. If we stop the film right here and we look at the still frame, there are crowds around Jesus. They expect the kingdom to, of God to come in its fullness in that moment. 
But in that, as we look at that still frame, we need to contemplate the sublime, majestic Jesus who comes with humility, and he doesn't have his eyes on a temporal throne. He's not entering to Jerusalem just to sit on the throne for a moment. He's thinking about all of eternity. He's thinking about humanity, not his own life. He's thinking about conquering Satan's sin and death. And so he's willing to ride into Jerusalem, even if it means him being crucified on a cross. In the Gospel of John, when some Greek-speaking God-fearers see what's happening, they, they see the response of the crowds when Jesus comes to Jerusalem and they want to make him king. And in John chapter 12, this is what we read. This is what Jesus says in response. John 12, 24, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless a grain of wheat falls into the earth and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it bears much fruit. Whoever loves his life loses it, and whoever hates his life in this world will keep it for eternal life. If anyone serves me, he must follow me, and where I am, there will my servant be also. So blessed is the humble king. Blessed is the humble king who is willing to go to the cross on our behalf. And blessed are those who follow him in humility and service. The Pharisees, they're disturbed by the messianic praise. They're offended by it. They're like the citizens of the kingdom in the parable of the ten talents. They do not want King Jesus to reign. And so they try to squelch the joy of the moment. They say to Jesus, rebuke your disciples. Stop them. And Jesus rebukes them. He says, if the crowds remain quiet, the stones will cry out. The rocks will scream. Even inanimate objects see more than you do, Pharisees. You are blind. Of course, you're unaware of your spiritual blindness. You should be like blind Bartimaeus. You should be crying out, Jesus, Son of God, have mercy on us. Have mercy on us because we don't see. But instead, they rebuke Jesus and they rebuke the disciples. As Jesus nears Jerusalem, he nears the gates. And the text says that he begins to weep. And this is not just a small whimper. The word actually means that he sobs and lament. He wails. He wails for Jerusalem as he enters. Crying for the city is like the weeping prophet Jeremiah. As Jeremiah foresees the fall of Jerusalem, the people of Israel going into exile. Jesus wails for Jerusalem. Jesus knew that he would be rejected. He knew the scriptures. He knew what was before him. But we do not serve a dispassionate Jesus. He came out of love. And so when he sees this city sealing its fate, he wails for Jerusalem. Verse 24, 42, sorry. Would that you, even you, had known on this day the things that make for peace. The language comes right out of the book of Exodus, Exodus chapter 3. Exodus chapter 3, of course, talking about the liberation of the people of Israel from Egypt. So on this day, as Jesus enters Jerusalem, this day of divine visitation, 
The people of Israel are missing their Messiah, their true king, their redeemer. They don't see him. They don't understand him. And so Jesus weeps for them. Would that you, even you, had known on this day the things that make for peace, the things that make for peace with God. Would that you had understood. Would that you had understood what it means for you to have peace in your hearts, to make peace with those around you. Would that you had understood. Would that you had known the things that make for peace. Read Zechariah 9 9, which prophesies Jesus' entrance into Jerusalem on a donkey. The following verse, Zechariah 9 10, reads as follows I will cut off the chariot from Ephraim, and the war horse from Jerusalem, and the battle bow shall, bow shall be cut off, and he shall speak peace to the nations. His rule shall be from sea to sea, and from the river to the ends of the earth. And so it's a verse that describes the messianic rule of Jesus. It will be a reign of peace. But the humble king that rides into Jerusalem, he actually knows what makes for peace. He knows that if there is going to be peace on earth, He will have to go to the cross and take the sin of humanity upon himself. He will have to pay the price that only he can pay that we could never pay. The once for all sacrifice made on our behalf and because Jesus paid the price because he died for us. The veil in the temple was torn by the Father and the way into the Father's presence was opened. We can now enter the Father's presence and cry out to him, come into his presence boldly because of Jesus' righteousness. If we have given our hearts to Jesus, if we have accepted his sacrifice for us, then our sins are forgiven, our guilt and our shame are removed. And the Father sends the Holy Spirit to live within us and we experience a peace that we have never known. Jesus knew the things that made for peace and he knew that on that day he needed to go into Jerusalem, that he needed to die in that city on our behalf. If we're followers of Jesus, then the peace of Christ reigns in our hearts, a peace that passes understanding. And there is not peace around the globe today, but there is a day coming when there will be peace in its fullness. And it'll be a day when every knee bows and every tongue confesses that Jesus is Lord. And so if we were to sing a song in alignment with what was happening on that day, on that Palm Sunday, when Jesus entered Jerusalem, then we would need to sing, blessed is the weeping king of peace who's willing to go to the cross for us. Blessed is the weeping king of peace. You may have recognized the last few phrases of Zechariah 9.10. His rule shall be from sea to sea and from the river to the ends of the earth. Those words, they come right out of Psalm 72 verse 8. 72 verse 8 reads as follows. May he have dominion from sea to sea and from the river to the ends of the earth. Where do we find that verse in Canada? Psalm 72, verse 8. The founders of Confederation, they took the name of Canada from that verse, the Dominion of Canada. You find that verse on the coat of arms of Canada. You find that verse engraved on the walls of the Peace Tower in Ottawa. You know the Peace Tower at the center of the House of Parliament? That verse is engraved there. Psalm 72, it 
It envisions the absolute sovereignty of God over all nations, the kingdom of Messiah. And it's a a kingdom that's united not by an ethnicity or by a language. It's united because the peoples of the earth come around the throne of the Messiah. That's in our peace tower. This past week, I I sat with a, a mayor and a chief of police. I'm not in trouble, don't worry. But we were talking about some of the challenges that face our urban centers. And we live in a society that is post-Christian. We think we are beyond the Christian faith as a Canadian society. And as one other politician said, the moral fabric of our society is coming undone. And so life is not as it should be in the cities where we live. As a society, we no longer seek submission to God and his law. We think that we can be a law unto ourselves. We are trying to define morality for ourselves, define what reality is. We think we can do that. We think that we can redefine life, sex, marriage. We think that we can create life in our own image. It's a foolish act, but that's where we are as a Canadian society. And so as followers of Jesus, we live torn, right? We celebrate the fact that we're in a Canada that receives people from around the world. A welcoming society. But at the same time, we are a fallen people. We celebrate the fact that we can come to Willingdon on a weekend and worship freely. There's freedom of religion, but at the same time, we lament spiritual blindness. We celebrate the fact that our nation is beautiful, that God has done so many wondrous things in this nation. But at the same time, we lament the brokenness of our relationships. I believe that if Jesus were to speak to Canada today, he would say what he said to the Pharisees. Would that you, even you, had known on this day the things that make for peace. You see, we're living in a very tolerant society and we think that in our day we have now understood in a new way what makes for peace. We tolerate all things. And we live in spiritual blindness. We no longer hear the words of Psalm 72, verse 8. We no longer live toward, as a nation, the messianic reign of Jesus. We're living to something unto ourselves. We follow other gods. And that's why when the Juno Awards happen, the songs don't sing about Jesus. They talk about other spirits. Almost ironically, in that same peace tower, you find other verses engraved. One of them is Proverbs 29, verse 18, which reads, Where there is no prophetic vision, the people cast off restraint. But blessed is he who keeps the law. That's referring to the law of God. Another way to translate that verse is where there is no word from God, people become discouraged. They lose their moral compass. They they are disoriented. And so I believe God would speak to us as Canadians today, would that you would remember what actually makes for peace. Would that you would remember Psalm 72 verse 8. Or Proverbs 29, 18. 
or the gospel that is so freely proclaimed in your country, the scriptures that you have in your language, would that you would remember the sacrifice that I made for you more than 2,000 years ago. And so Jesus, on that day when he enters Jerusalem, he speaks to the Pharisees and he says, would that you even you had known on this day the things that make for peace, but now they are hidden from your eyes. You are blind, he says. You are blind. So instead of peace, destruction will come. That's why Jesus is wailing as he enters Jerusalem. The following day, he goes into the temple. And what does he find in the court of the Gentiles, the largest space on the Temple Mount, the place where foreigners were to come and learn what it meant to worship God in spirit and truth? The place where they were to experience the peace of God as they had never experienced it before. Well, people are exchanging money. They're selling animals. And so imagine one of our financial trading floors, Wall Street, Bay Street. Is that where you would go to meet God? Not a whole bunch of livestock. What a crazy world. And so Jesus cleanses that temple. He says it's to be a house of prayer for all nations. Instead of showing the peoples of the earth the way to peace with God, the religious leaders, they are rejecting the true Messiah and they will crucify him. And so Jesus prophesies, the days are coming when a barricade will be built around you. There is a foreign army that will come and lay siege to your city. This city will be raised, not one stone will be left on another. It will be leveled to the ground. And in AD 70, the Roman army enters Jerusalem under Titus and raises the city, levels the city of Jerusalem, destroys the temple. It is a fearful thing to hear the word of God and reject it. It is a fearful thing to stand before God responsible for our decision to reject Jesus. So if you have heard the gospel message, if the spirit of God has prompted your heart, then I would urge you to surrender to the sovereign king, the humble king, the weeping king of peace, that you would receive Jesus as your Savior and Lord because that is the way and the only way that makes for peace for you and for me. It is a fearful thing to stand before God when we have heard the way that makes for peace and have rejected it. Today's your day to surrender. And if we're disciples of Jesus, what kind of song do we sing on the streets of Canada today? What kind of song should be on our lips? Well, we should be singing, blessed is the sovereign king. Because the Jesus that sovereignly rode into Jerusalem, he is present in our lives today. He is accomplishing his purposes. And so we can walk with a humble confidence in God. God still has all things in his hands. We should walk worshiping the Messiah King. We know that not all things are as they should be, but the Messiah King, he has our day in his hands. He has all of history in his hands, and he will accomplish his purposes in and through us. And... Even while we sing worship to the Messiah King, we should be free to lament broken relationships, 
This is part of being formed into the character of Christ. This part of being transformed into the likeness of Christ. Yes, we praise God for the wondrous things that he has done. But at the same time, when things are broken, we lament. When there's a drug epidemic in our country, we cry. We cry out to God for mercy. When people are ill, we lament. When there's spiritual blindness, we lament. That's what it means to reflect the heart of Jesus. Jesus sobbed as he entered Jerusalem on that day. And there are things in our country that break the heart of God. And so we need to lament. But at the same time, we remember that Jesus, he rode into Jerusalem sure of who he was, sure of his identity. He knew that he was the Messiah. And so if we're disciples of Jesus, then we walk sure of our identity as well. We know that we are sons and daughters of God. We know that we have been chosen for his purposes. We know that we are here, not by chance, no. We are here to be light in our generation, that Jesus has given us a song to sing, a message to share, and so the gospel is on our lips, and we share the words of wisdom and discernment and grace and peace of the gospel with all those that we meet. We do acts of kindness, of compassion in honor of our Lord. And we do not walk alone. We walk as a family. In our day, we cannot walk alone. We were never meant to walk alone, but certainly in our day, we need to walk as family. We walk as family as we gather for weekend services. We walk as family in small groups. We walk as family in mentoring relationships. None of us should be walking alone. We need the wisdom, the discernment of the family of God to walk in our day. And we walk with the king of peace reigning in our hearts. Because if we have come to know Jesus, we know the things that make for peace. Hallelujah. We're at peace with God. The spirit of God abides within us. We experience a peace that surpasses all understanding that none of us can can explain as we yield ourselves to Jesus, no matter what the circumstance. We know the things that make for peace in relationships. Jesus has instructed us. He's shown us the way. That way is known. And so we live in that way. We are those that make peace in our marriages, in our families, in the world around us. No matter how broken the world is around us, no matter how much people may not understand who we are, why we live the way we live, why our hearts are filled with hope, we continue to sing the gospel song, blessed is the sovereign king. Blessed is the humble king who gave his life for us. Blessed is the weeping king of peace who has brought peace to our lives and one day will reign over all things. His kingdom will be established and there will be peace on earth, the new heaven and the new earth, and we will live in the presence of God forevermore. Hallelujah. We live for that day. Amen? Amen. Amen. Let's stand for prayer. So Jesus, we thank you. We thank you for your grace. We don't deserve to be here. We, we have come to you broken. We have come to you in our weakness, in our sin. And yet while we were yet sinners, you died for us. So thank you for your amazing love. Thank you that you abide in us by your spirit. Sometimes we're not faithful, but Lord, you are faithful. You keep drawing us back. Thank you, Lord. Thank you that you will be faithful to complete your work in us. 
Thank you that you are going to get us to that marriage supper of the Lamb, that you're going to get us to the great banquet and that we will be there with you when you lift the cup and we will celebrate together. So thank you, Jesus, for your faithfulness. Thank you for all that you have done and are doing in our day. And thank you that we can live at peace and trusting ourselves to you no matter what is happening. And so, Lord, I pray your blessing over your people. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. God bless you.